Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. And in in a different way, although he's representing the Republican, he's more of the, not Democrat in politics, but the Democrat in like, likelihood to make a big change in who's sheriff (laughs) (laughs) did you guys follow? oh yeah now i know what you mean (laughs) yeah uh uh, may i try (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah go give that one another swing Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Hey, pal. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. You ready to do this? I'm so, so ready. Coming up on the show this week, the transit tax is bust. Sandag, our regional transportation agency, was banking on getting a tax increase passed in the November election to fund big plans and its big vision for transportation in the region. But the agency relied on unions and builders to pull it off, and now that coalition has not delivered. We'll explain why that's such a big deal and why San Diego can't manage its ballot dreams. There was a big update on the housing front with permission from the state An affordable housing developer plans to bust through the coastal height limit and build something taller than the 30-foot limit in the Mission Bay area. Could that be a precedent for the region and the state as we grapple with the housing crisis? And we've got the latest results from last week's election. We'll talk about who's going on to the runoff. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Well, I had my son uh, graduated from preschool yesterday. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah. Was whole, yeah. What did he say he wanted to be when he grew up? They didn't ask that. I don't really? know. <laughs> they uh, sang a song in Spanish. They sang a song in German. They sang a song in English. Yeah. Oh, was, my God. That was it. So they, my, my daughter had a thing up on the wall that said, mm. like, all these um, professions. Yeah. And they, they ra- she rated them with, like, a graph. Yeah, and there say was dictator. There was there was journalist. There was teacher, and there was farmer. <laughs> yeah. and there was athlete. 
and athlete did really well. Yeah. Uh, teacher did pretty well. Farmer did extremely well. Yeah. And journalists did very poorly. Yeah. And I think it... How did journalists make the cut? That, that's, the the other three are very sensible to put in front of children. I don't, well, she knows me. So oh, she put... The teacher did? No, my daughter. Oh, okay. And she rated journalism that low. Okay. And I, I asked she, her... She should have just left it out. Well, just, she could have just said no, engineer. Think, Your wife's no, an she's, engineer. She's like you. She wanted to hurt me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to show you that yeah. she knows she's aware of this profession, but she put it and very it is, low. And on she it is unattractive. She, would, she finds the one where you have to literally pick up shit yeah. as the more attractive one. <laughs> All right. Hey, farming sounds nice. Um, well, my daughter, Luna, yeah. my dog, mm-hmm. is also graduating from puppy training soon. Really? So. Okay, great. So that's my child graduating news. Good job. Happy for you. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a big week for all of us. <laughs> We're in the final stretch of our summer fundraising campaign. Our fiscal year is ending soon, Andrea. We've got to pay the people. We've got to fund all the things. This is the fiscal year. It ends in two weeks. I'm a little bit on edge. We'll see how it goes. Help us make this service possible. Deliver all of these great podcasts and events and work that you appreciate. Go to vosd.org slash give. That's vosd.org slash give. And when you do, you can write a little note. We love those. You're a big fan. Oh, I love those. It's like my favorite Slack channel ever. <laughs> right. When it lights up, it's like, hey, yeah. that, there's I'm like, another. Ooh, you know, if I'm feeling down, I go to the donations channel. Yeah. So let's read a few. Gloria Casares said, your reporting is good. South Bay and especially Chula Vista need you. We were just there last week. We had fun, right? Be in front of the people. Great to have Steve Garcia and Andrea Cardenas there to talk uh, about South Bay politics and more. So we'll do our best. We'll keep uh, focusing as much as we can and spend some time there. Jennifer Sieslak said, Voice is my main source for local news. I love listening to the podcast every week. We'll love having you too. Thank you, Jennifer. Ben Parmenter said, The politics report is that good. That is emphasized. So, yeah, you have to be a member to get the politics report. Do that. VOSD.org slash give. And Jason Jarvinian said, Jarvinian said, I gave because of the pod's hot take on May Gray. And June Gloom. Which, would, which would take do you think was hot? Hot takes on both of them. So okay, yeah, both of them are hot. Interesting. Yeah. I did not suspect of any of the exchanges we've had here that that would be the one you that would, that you would get a, that would get some. You didn't think that sunshine would be a hot take that it's good. I don't. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. You can join as a member and write us anything you want at vosd.org slash give. So if you were with us or listened to our live podcast from Chula Vista, you heard some of our recap of the results. But let's get into this. We haven't really let it sink in what November is going to look like, right? We have a new assembly member just sworn in. David Alvarez is back. He's he's now an elected official again. He went from uh, an activist that didn't they didn't think would win the seat in city council. He won that, and then uh, he became you know a guy who wrote op eds and built you know ADUs, and now he's an assemblyman. 
Yeah, really a, a brief exit from our political lives in the grand scheme of things. Four years. It's very like Scott Peterson. Yeah. Peterzian. Peterzian. Yeah. Yeah. Now he was on the, the port during that time, but, but you know, unelected. Yeah. And he ended up beating his uh, at least former friend, Georgette Gomez. And uh, we're still not certain. She ended up obviously advancing in the primary for the full term that's supposed to be in November but we haven't heard definitively like how committed she is to contesting that, have we? No, I mean, I, th- I, she, I don't. To my knowledge, she hasn't said anything. Yeah. Um, I think the expectation is she's going to contest it. Yeah, give it a shot. Right? Yeah, yeah. You're in the runoff for an assembly seat. Right. And it is. I mean, if you're looking for a reason why the results would be different, you could. Cer- there's certainly a set of facts you could talk yourself into. It's a different district. It's not it's different same. district. It's a different turnout scenario in in November versus June. Um, you would want to spend less time focusing on the incumbent effect that David has going for him, but you just set that to the side and focus on the fact that you've got a turnout scenario difference, and you could certainly talk yourself into that. You were in Barrio Logan the other day. You saw him waving signs. Yeah, I was driving past him, and he was on a corner with you know a couple of his supporters, and they, he just had like a thank you sign and waving at everybody. So there was it's stoked. a time honored San Diego political tradition to wave a sign on the corner <laughs> of the street. I'll never forget when Mike Geary lost the city attorney's race in two thousand eight, when every Democrat on earth won everything except for him. <laughs> He was standing in the rain with like a bucket, like rain was coming down, and it was like it looked so sad. And his little sign, it was just a, it was a rough night. But yes, uh. <laughs> Micah Gary just catching an absolute stray, just tuned sorry. in, sorry, just tuned into the show to hear what was going on. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like truly the lowest moment you could imagine for somebody, suddenly gets dredged up. Sorry. The, Sorry, I Mike. just that's the idea. It's there's there's a lot of waving signs on the street mm-hmm. in San Diego mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is it, is Barry Logan transformed with his representation now? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he will face Georgette Gomez in the runoff for the newly drawn district and the full term that um, replaces. But let's just let it sink in. He ran in sort of diametric opposition to the legacy of the perhaps most famous or most well-known assemblywoman or person in the state, Lorena Gonzalez, a very powerful, uh, influential lawmaker for many years, left the seat early, is taking a job with the largest coalition of labor unions across the state to lead it, and she endorsed and supported and advocated for Georgette Gomez and didn't see that succeed. And now the other guy, the guy that she's been um, not a fan of for many, many years is taking that office. So yeah, you don't, I mean, you don't need a little orphan Annie decoder ring to discern that what he was saying, change California together. We can, we can change California in that district with her exiting was a campaign against her legacy. Yeah, so she had said in your piece that you did about this mm-hmm. race that that meant, as we talked about on the show last week, that meant that maybe he could squeak in, but he couldn't operate like that. But I think he's proven as an elected official, he's pretty good at keeping people supportive. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is like, what is what exactly does she mean by that? In like, he... He has always been idiosyncratic as an official, but he's never been 
especially oppositional to progressive causes. And, in, you know, and in fact, like I, I in, unless I'm mistaken, he had supported AB5 even, mm-hmm. you know, a Lorena Gonzalez piece of legislation. So he, uh, I think she probably has a, a solid point. So she knows that district well, and she has good political, in, political instincts. I mean, her allegation that he wouldn't be able to govern as a moderate is probably true, but would he want to? Mm-hmm. I mean, like how moderate do you expect David Alvarez to be in you know your sort of base case scenario? And how aware are the constituents going to be of things that he's a little bit more moderate on or, or yeah. Id- yeah. idiosyncratic? His, yeah, like on the margin, his moderation relative to hers, is it really going to resonate with voters? As we've seen, I mean, once you're an incumbent state legislator, I mean, when was the last time we saw one of them get ousted? Well, also like... Isn't Juan Vargas a moderate? Yeah. I mean, in that same way, like maybe less sort of leadershipy. Yeah. <laughs> leadershipy. Wow, well, we're Sorry. just making up yeah. all kinds of words. Today. <laughs> uh, so also let's switch. So we also know for sure Kelly Martinez, the sheriff, uh, or under sheriff, is running for sheriff. She's the number two at the sheriff's office. She advanced, obviously, but we can now confirm John Hemmerling is re- going with her. And he's a Republican. She's a Democrat, a little bit newer of a Democrat, but she's she's gotten, though, I think it's fair to say the establishment support in the same kind of way that the Republican sheriffs have always gotten. I think it would be fair to say that she has inherited the conservative establishment mantle. Thank you. That That's a good way to put it. Is That is the you know, the, the undercurrent through that office and basically every countywide office. It's just that she has a different label. She just happens to be a member That's of a That's what I was trying to get is that party. like he, he's, he can't be thought of as like the, the Republican in that same tradition. He's now the outsider yes. trying to make a change. Yes. All right. Do you think this race will get pretty interesting, crazy? I don't. Well, I actually would say that like it would be a mistake to, to take for granted of course, a winning streak of the magnitude that you have Republican Party members winning countywide races. Fair enough. Yes. Like it, it would be it would be bold to just presume that that's that's over. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now, granted, it could it, it we, we, we will have two trials of that this year because uh, Barbara Bree and Jordan Marks are now running for county assessor. And to some extent, Barbara Bree is, you know, considered a, a serious candidate to potentially win that race as well. So you could, like in 2018, when you had, you know, there had been no city council incumbents had lost re-election since 1992, and then two of them did in 2018. We could be in a scenario where we have no Democrats winning countywide office in sort of modern history, and we may have two this this November, but. The streak being what it is, it's probably safe to to sort of temper your expectations there around yeah. uh, around each of those races. And Andrea, we s- now can confirm John McCann is going to go to the runoff. Obviously, he leads the Chula Vista mayor's race, but he's going to go there clearly now with Amar Campanajar. Yeah. So Amar has made it through this primary. Why do you think that happened? Is it all name recognition? Did he show a lot of uh, of energy that they that they were attracted to? Was there more resources, or was it just uh, uh, just good campaigning? I mean, I think they both spoke to different things, right? So John was the only Republican in the race, so obviously he got a lot of support from those Republican voters. Also, he has the name recognition. Uh, people who weren't Republican 
might have supported him because, you know, of, of the approach he's taken on his race where he just wants to make sure that people living in Chula Vista are, you know, got their roads fixed and have police and have firefighters. So, you yeah, know. Yeah, what was it that Andrea said last week that uh, Cardenas, she said that it's like voters there really appreciate somebody they can trust and know. Yeah, like, yeah, people that they just know that have mm-hmm. been there for a while. You know, he's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Amar, I think, one, name recognition, but two... The idea of like this young guy and yeah, maybe he's not as experienced as other people. But again, he was like splitting all these other votes with all these other Democrats. He's not as experienced, but he's got these like big ideas. Like why not give it a try? Why not see, you know, what he can bring to the table? So, yeah, it's kind of interesting because there's a big debate. Do do we want to just keep going with what we've been doing Mm -hmm. or and, and steady leadership, trust, that sort of thing? Or is there an appetite for somebody to get up and try to shake things up and get some of these long, languishing dreams done. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're going to see throughout the rest of the race. It'll be the established, you know, what Chula Vista people have seen throughout the years, maybe good and maybe bad. Yeah. And then maybe something new that could be good or bad. I don't know. Can Can any of them really bring these promises to reality? Right. Also, there um, are now two big races for San Diego Unified. This is the first time we will see those races play out in the new structure. It used to be that the uh, primary would happen, two candidates would emerge from different neighborhoods in the city, and then they would have to run across the city for San Diego Unified board positions. They'd have to mount a campaign. If I, if you know, If they're representing southeastern San Diego, they'd have to appeal to voters all the way in La Jolla. And so now that has changed. They only have to appeal to the people in their sub-district, in their neighborhoods. And that's going to make it easier for different candidates, I think, to make their cases because running a citywide campaign is very expensive, very difficult. So we will be putting a lot of effort into understanding those races because we have a new reporter. Jacob McWinney, he is our intern. He's been on this show. You, You might remember his dulcet tones on this show and he is going to be our education reporter he's uh, uh, been promoted and gotten that job great great guy he's gonna uh, have a lot of work to do to as he starts to get to know how complex and hard it is to understand educational issues here and finance issues and stuff like that so but i'm excited to um, get him on board for that yeah we're excited to have him and definitely send him tips So, Lopez, you saw in your former employer's newspaper mm-hmm. uh, an update about a height limit issue in San Diego along the coast that uh, where a builder was going to be allowed to build taller than the 30-foot height limit and hadn't got a vote of the people. And you said, should this be an interesting precedent for all these other height limit issues we've been talking about? And I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. <laughs> You had very short answers. I was, I was, <laughs> but very, it was late. I was, was very like intrigued. <laughs> but Andy threw cold water on it, like he does. So what's the? I don't situation? know. I don't mean. Uh, I don't mean to throw cold water. Well, tell us what water. the situation. So, uh, scoop by Jen Van Grove, the Union Tribune yesterday. Good reporting, and um, so I got the the letter from the HCD, the State Housing Department, that um, opined basically that a local law including one passed by voter initiative, cannot trump a state law. 
So that vote, voter initiative we're talking about was 50 years ago along the coast. You cannot build anything higher than 30 feet. The buildings that are higher than 30 feet, like the sports arena, were built before that. Yeah. And so we've always assumed you had to get another vote to be able to do something like this, like SeaWorld did for its roller coasters. And now the state is saying for this, what, affordable housing development, that they don't need um, to change that law, that the state's law super... Yeah, specifically the state's density bonus law. So this is a project that is is proposing to build, to use the density bonus ordinance to exceed what the density bonus very simply is a law that allows you to exceed your given development regulations on any given parcel um, in order if you agree to include affordable housing as part of the project. So this is a 100% affordable housing project that was seeking to use the density bonus law to build in excess of what the zoning on that plot would normally allow. And they, the consultant asked the state, hey, can you tell us? It seems like the state law should trump the local law, but the city of San Diego has never interpreted it that way. What's right? And the state came back and said, yeah, the state density bonus law is takes precedence over the local height limit. And the, the basically the state, uh, the city for the entirety of its history had assumed, because the state density bonus law is not new. There's nothing new about this law. There's no new update that forced them to ask for this interpretation now. And in fact, all of the precedents that the state cited in their letter are like decades old decades old um so they basically said uh the, the city's interpretation had been well since this was a voter initiative that's different than if the city council passed a local law mm-hmm. and the state said no it doesn't matter it's still no local law takes precedence over state law now the reason that this isn't like day one oh the coastal height limit doesn't apply anymore is a couple things one um it's the it's a density bonus question. It's only a question when projects are seeking to use the density bonus law, at least as far as this interpretation goes. You could maybe extend their legal logic to other, you know, state laws that may allow you may be able to to utilize to to do something similar. But this letter only specifically says that the state density bonus law uh, is something you can use regardless. The other thing that that limits it is so. The coastal zone is a term we often apply to where the height limit applies. That's not not actually true. Right. Right. The coastal zone was created years after the coastal height limit by state legislation, which defined a area that they consider the coast from the border all the way to the top of the state. And they put a commission in charge of that coastal zone. And there's additional development regulations that apply there. What this letter is saying is that in the area that falls within the city of San Diego's coastal height limit area, but outside the coastal zone, the height limit does not apply anymore, or the the state density bonus limit does not apply. So, uh, not necessarily. So, there's a map of where those areas are, and I, you know, those are the areas that I think are like the lowest hanging fruit for people who have argued against the coastal height limit as something that was like a misguided development. I think if if those proponents of overturning the coastal height limit had started their argument around like, we should build really tall buildings like right at the boardwalk, right on the coastal walk, I think they would 
find a much less willing audience to listen to them. They have mostly succeeded by saying, well, the Midway isn't really the coast. You know, why on, you know, Mission Bay Drive over by I-5, why, why is that considered the coast? And that's where this project is. This project is like right across from the Wienerschnitzel over on Garnett and PB. Uh, yeah. And so it's like those areas that are the ones that are specifically affected by new development that, according to this letter, could now use the state's density bonus law to pursue projects taller than 30 feet. That's why we have Andy Keith here. Yeah. Some good stuff. That's why you support Voice of San Diego. Yes, thank you, Andy. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, how Sandag's transit tax died. Stay with us. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. A lot of the construction unions and contractors and others who want to see a half-cent sales tax added to the tax you already pay on the things that you buy in San Diego County uh, were excited to pay signature gatherers to get this on the ballot to fund this grand vision for transportation in San Diego County that Sandag has put together in its RTP, right? The Regional Transportation Plan. It is one of three of these sorts of tax increases that they depend on to make that vision a reality. Is that correct? In the next eight years. In the next eight years. Whoa. That's the plan. Yeah. And it was relying on this independent group doing it mm-hmm. because by doing it as an independent group, they can take advantage of the loophole we've discussed ad nauseum on this show, mm-hmm. which allows citizens' initiatives to raise taxes with just 50% of the vote rather than two-thirds. The last time they tried to raise the tax, they needed two-thirds, and they got well more than 50%, but not two-thirds. Correct. So what happened? They they submitted a bunch of signatures. They were excited about it, and the registrars was like, nah? Yeah, basically. Now, the, there is one complexity, but the short version is, yeah, the registrar counted. As this thing, these things go, they count a random sample of the thousands of ballots you turn in. So they needed how many? They needed like a one forty, one hundred fifteen thousand. Okay. So they turned in about like one hundred fifty thousand officially. And they're not going to count every one of them at first. They're going to take a random sample and see if they can see what the rate of failure is, right? Exactly. And then they apply that rate of failure to the entire pool that you put in, and they say if you are above a certain threshold, we just say that's good. 
And if you're below a certain threshold, they say, uh, doesn't look like you're good, but we can count every signature to give you another shot at it. Or if you're below a threshold even lower than that, it's just over for you. And that is what happened to the initiative here. So they, they, they just, their random sample had a failure rate that was so low that it wasn't even enough for them to keep counting every, every signature to see if, you know, maybe those, the other ballots outside of the random sample would increase your success rate or whatever. So just some back of the envelope math, if they turned in 140,000 signatures and we were just talking about how it could have been as, as much as $10 per signature, let's say it was only $5 just to be conservative. That's still $700,000 at least that they have spent or are being invoiced for. Yeah, there yeah. might be a distinction there. Right. On this process that is that is now completely worthless, correct? Yeah, that's right. Like it's not it's like they can use the signatures for something else or whatever. Like they're they're done. Yeah. And so now and then the the complexity here is one that I think you're you're going to eat up as a um, signature gatherer very excited. Yeah. is the the cover sheet on the signatures that was submitted with the boxes of signatures to the registrar which is, you know, filled out by the consultants that put that turned them in said 160 some thousand mm-hmm. signatures. So there was more than the the number that they put in. It's like 20 some thousand more than the ones. Yeah, I remember from in. your story there the, and the proponents are like, what happened to the 20,000 others we put in? Yeah. And so and they got it stamped by the registrar. Now, keep in mind, like it's not like the registrar actually counted, opened every box and counted every one before they said, OK, thank you for giving these to us. We're now going to count them. So I, I don't think that their their stamp was like is like a, 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 a official document that that certifies that there were that many but nonetheless they thought they submitted more than this so what happened here to these 20 some thousand additional signatures did the signature gathering firm that was hired to do this not collect that many and lie did they collect that many and think they were telling the truth but lose some of them did they somehow fail to submit them in the way that they thought it did did the registrar lose them that would that would be a, a major scandal and i think has to be considered the least likely of the possibilities um but so yes the, there's somehow some way there's 20,000 some signatures that are uh in a mysterious place right now now you and i look at this result and mm-hmm. think about the myriad other experiences we have witnessed of signature gathering gone wrong yeah, I would broaden it and just say like policy initiatives gone wrong. Right. Because we've failed in a, a, a rainbow coalition <laughs> <Yeah>. of ways. <laughs> now, other people, though, have yeah. looked at this and drawn, you're going to be surprised, confirmation bias yeah. about their own hostility to public transit. Right. And that this was a reflection of the public's hostility to public transit mm-hmm. and thus... You know, it's another bit of data that they're right, that people don't want buses and trains here. Now, so let's understand what was at stake here, because you have helped me remind me several times that the grand, what, $160 billion plan Mm -hmm. wouldn't really transform transit in San Diego. No, no. I mean, one way that and that's the plan that's bigger than this initiative itself. Mm -hmm. It. The only transit project that it includes between now and 2035 is some sort of connection to the airport and the Purple Line. 
The purple line from, from Otay Mesa through Kearney Mesa of, yeah. of either subway or up uh, yeah. light rail, right? Yeah. Everything else is in the 20 out to like 2050 in the back half of the plan, which is very speculative. The plan mm-hmm. will be rewritten dozen times before then. So is honestly out of sight, out of mind. Just push, push that stuff to the side. You really only need to deal with the stuff in the first handful of years of the plan because that's the stuff we're really talking about and there's just not that much transit in it and there are plenty of freeway projects on the plan they call the freeway they've branded the freeway projects as multimodal and all this stuff but that you know you're still pouring concrete on the corridors that we currently travel in in cars and, and their and their main yeah sales argument seemed to be revolving around filling potholes yes that's what they were going with yeah and this this transit tax included highway projects highway interchanges to reduce congestion the reduction of traffic you know traffic relief was right there in the initiative so like it, it, I, I don't i don't think there's a good argument for concluding anything about people's um taste for or against transit from the failure of this initiative i mean the, the initiative was crafted to be maximally popular around potholes and traffic relief mm-hmm. it was it was not the transform the way we get around san diego initiative please sign here now right. Get you out of your car. You get the or, get you out yeah. of your car initiative. The, you know, we can be like Paris and Tokyo two initiative. It was not any of those things. What, what, whatever you've read in the press or however you disagree with Hasana Krata, that was not what signature gathers were out telling people out front of grocery stores. No, they they saw their cars and they said, here, this Here's, will be better for your car. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the second confirmation bias it might have helped augment for some of these folks was the one from some of the people in Sandag on Sandag's board who wanted Sandag or said they wanted Sandag to put its own initiative forward and not rely on these outside groups to do it, that it was irresponsible to do that despite the fact that they might be able to pass it with a lower voter threshold, that it should be something that if it's that important to the vision of Sandag, to pull off, you shouldn't let a bunch of unions and signature gatherers pull it off. Yeah, so their argument was like was something along the lines of what you just said. Um, I think the the best argument for doing it from Sandag is like there's no risk around that. No, you put it on you the ballot. You just put it on the ballot. Yeah. It's it's uh, there, there there's no it's in the law that, that Sandag can put can it on, put the, it on ballot. the ballot. So if they wanted to do that, there'd be no question of it being placed on the ballot. It's a ma- it's it's amazing to me that they yeah. would want to spend a million dollars on something that they don't have to spend a million dollars on. Yeah. Now that it, it goes to show just how different they think the the political viability of a 50% plus 1 approval and a 66% approval is, that's why they're willing to do it this way. Um but I mean I guess what this shows and we have other data points that we could reach back to is you're kind of trading one risk for another risk. It's easy to sit, to convince yourself, well, it would be so much easier at 50% than 66%. And that's true if it is a certainty that you can qualify for the ballot by collecting signatures. We now have two consecutive major issues that we're unable to do it. Or that really struggled. Or that really struggled. To see eventually Eventually did. did, yeah. And so you, you just can't presume that as a as a as a guarantee. Well, I, I just can't stop thinking about the company that writes like a hundred thousand dollar check to pull this off. Yeah. Like what are they going through right now? Like, do they care? Is it such little amount of money that well, so, they don't care? So think about it this way though, or I'd be interested in 
in your perspective on this is how much different to them is writing a hundred thousand dollar check for this and it not getting on the ballot versus writing a hundred thousand dollar check for something that voters just vote down because lots of people vote you know donated money to sandag's measure in 2016 that went on the ballot and voters did not approve is that I think the difference is that you have to do it twice, right? So you have to get it on the ballot, and then you have to do the campaign for it. Yeah, sure. But but uh, you're like sort of placing yourself in the mindset of of somebody from one of these engineering firms that cuts a hundred thousand dollar check. I'm are they curious. are they any more depressed right now than they would be that had it qualified and then they lost? I think let's not say depressed. let's for the sake of argument no, that no. let's say that they do it's the same one hundred thousand dollars in either scenario. Not depressed as much as just like. Where's the money? <laughs> well, I think it's yeah. I mean, I think it. it I think there, there's an argument to be made that you go into a political campaign understanding that with there's these, a possibility of losing with these signature gatherers messing around with your money that something might go wrong. Okay, so uh, what are they going to do? Is how do they recover from this? This was the they kept insisting like you should do your own initiative, and and Sonicrata just kept giving them the hand, and say don't yeah. don't worry, I'm I've got this. He's the executive director at Sandag. This is on him to get this regional transportation plan done. He needs three tax increases by 2030. Let me just talk about this for a second. So on the day that they approved the regional transportation plan, on that very day, they promised to remove some of the money that funded it. When that's right, the when Todd Gloria said we're not going to do this vehicle tax, so right? 160 billion dollar plan. The first thing they do after passing it is say, "Oh, a big chunk of that is not viable. We're not going to do that." And they said, "Well, we don't. We we're not. We don't legally. We can't pass this plan today with getting rid of that. But we can pass a plan today with a motion to bring an amendment back at some other date where we'll find other money or we'll." do something you know to compensate for this money you're taking away from us okay so day one of the plan they lose a big chunk of money now that just to be clear that's the vehicle mile travel tax that they were thinking of passing right this was the alternative to the gas tax because if everybody drives electric vehicles then they're not gonna pay a gas tax and Which, we still need to fund these things now keeping in mind that that tax was not included in a vote that day it was still go- going to need Is to it- be approved in some future there was going to be some law changes that would have required that but all the plan was was an assumption that that was in it and so many and people they, were mad that they'd seen that that they reacted to that and said, and said Let's right, get rid we, of won't, it. we won't so even assume it'll be a that, big but, chunk of what they pictured would pay for this was already taken out yes and now then they said other things we're going to have to pass to pay for it are a sales tax this year which is this one which isn't happening and that one keep in mind it's not the money is counted on for the entirety of the plan, right? They were counting on that half cent being there for the entire 40 years of the plan. That's where the all the money came from, right? And then two years from now, they were going to do another tax and that that would be there for the 38 years of the plan. And then six years after that, they were going to do another one and that would have been there for 32 years of the plan, right? So you're already without two of those revenue measures that you were counting on on the day that everybody went to went downtown, got around on a board meeting to vote to approve the RTP. Two of them are already out the door. So what's to stop me from looking at what you've just described and understanding it and saying like these people don't know what they're doing? Uh, the, I I think it's a fair conclusion at this point. They're 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 they're, they're drowning. They're drowning right now. 
So, okay. Does this mean that the trolley to the airport is now back at being a San Diego special? Or always was. Look, until you can take a trolley to the airport, until you can <laughs> attend a concert at a sports arena, until you can <laughs> until you can go see a soccer game in Mission Valley, until any of those things are a reality, it's a San Diego special. Got it. Uh but yeah, I mean the 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 proximate effect here is that the transit uh, the trolley to the airport was going to be a headline project in this initiative that was going to be on the November ballot. Not only that, it was going to you know, hope that once this project was approved or once this tr- tax was approved that they would be able to use it as a, a worm on the hook to go get the big fish and the big fish was federal money from the recently passed infrastructure tax. Well, we don't have the worm anymore, so we're not going to be able to get that money to pay for that as well. So There's fake worms. <laughs> yeah. Fake worm? Uh, and in fact, the, I mean, I guess the fake worm in this scenario would be like really lobby your butt off in Have you heard, I don't know if you've heard, but Mayor Todd Gloria is really good friends with Kamala Harris, the vice president. Yes. Unfortunately, most of these federal measures require local matching funds. And if you don't have local money, you can't get the federal money. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego and edited by our friend Nate John, who has a task this week that you cannot imagine. Thank you, sir. Again, this is our last podcast of the summer campaign and and before the fiscal year ends. If you love this show enough to listen to the credits, you're exactly who we need right now. Join Voice of San Diego. Please support these journalists that work so hard every week vosd.org slash give vosd.org slash give they're give they're not here to make a ton of money they're just doing their best to to serve the public and we need to support them again that's vosd.org slash give link in the show notes i'm scott lewis ceo and editor-in-chief at voice san diego andrea lopez Viafania is our managing editor andrew keats is also managing editor and nate john is our excellent much appreciated producer thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week